Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO, and now on 106.3 FM. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Miller and Condon on a Monday, Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Ken Miller's Trent remains on vacation uh, today and tomorrow. He is back Wednesday. Tyler Allen with me for the next couple of hours. Uh, he's working behind the scenes producing the radio program and grateful to have uh, him here with me. Who's not here with me? Well, the key words, that promotion is over. Uh, but the good news, Ray Maliazzi didn't go anywhere this weekend. He's with us, as you just heard. Rather have the keywords if we could lose Ray. Anyways, uh, BMW of Des Moines guest list looks like this. In about 15 minutes, probably 20 minutes, uh, we will get Matt Snyder in here from CBSSports.com. He is one of their national writers when it comes to Major League Baseball. And Matt will join me. Trade deadline is tomorrow. A lot on that. Uh, the Mets uh, get a huge, huge well, it's not a trade, but in addition to their lineup, Jacob DeGrom will pitch for the first time all year tomorrow night. Don't think that would be a boost uh, to their lineup. You're crazy. Is one of the game's best pitchers. Now, the question is, how long will they have him for? Sadly, that's been uh, his history. So, Matt Snyder on Major League Baseball, where we're at. The Twins find themselves only a game up on the Guardians as we begin another week and another month of baseball. As Yes, the calendar switches from July into August, and what a special month august is on the sports calendar uh but uh, we will hear from matt snyder to begin august 1st means that we will have our first training camp daily update with our friend mitch holtis the voice of the kansas city chiefs he's with us i think for the most part every day uh during the month of august unless the team is flying and the travel gets in the way of him joining us. If it is, it's only going to happen a time or two. But Mitch will be here with his uh, daily Chiefs training camp updates. Love that relationship. Love talking football with Mitch. We will start today. Uh, He's got some sound coming up from Andy Reid, the head coach of the Chiefs, so look forward to that. Coming up about 10.50, and then every uh, 10.50 block going forward, we will hear from Mitch Holtis. In the 11 o'clock hour, Iowa and Iowa State. Scott Dockerman on the Hawks got a really, no surprise, another really good piece at the Athletic, the Big Ten's Northwest Triangle of Hate. And all that stuff is real, according to some of the players who play for either the Gophers, the Badgers, the Hawkeyes. We'll talk to them about that. Recap Big Ten Media Days. Look forward to the week, and what a week it is, right? Both the Clones and the Hawks, they begin their preparations for real on the field in fall camp uh, coming up this week. Media Days coming up this week for both of those schools as well. But this is just one of those additional boxes that you check that make August such a great month, at least for me. I know the games don't count until the very end in some cases uh, for college football, uh, but uh, still a pretty special month with all the football conversation and the speculation and the back and forth. This team will do what? This team, you're crazy. They lost X, Y, and Z. They have no chance. It's a fun month of sports talk uh, here in the month of August. So that's the program today. Again, no circuit play of the day, but I can tell you that 
Thursday night. There is preseason football, and the Raiders are a point and a half favorite over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, the Hall of Fame game is coming up on Thursday night. So where to start? We could go in a number of directions, but I think we should probably get uh, to the big news of the day, and that the Deshaun Watson uh, suspension has been handed down. Uh, six games. I was surprised. I thought it would certainly be longer than that. But what I did not know, and I'm assuming that most of you didn't know as well, um, the NFL only brought four of these cases from women forward. The 24 or whatever it is, 24, 25, yes, he settled a bunch of lawsuits, civil lawsuits, but the NFL only felt good enough, apparently, that's what they, that's how they handle this. They felt confident enough to only go forward to this former federal judge to present four of these cases at this trial. Not 24, four. So if you're thinking to yourself, it's six games, it seems light. Okay. I could, I bought that. But then when you kind of uh, dig into it a little bit, it was, and I say only in quotes, right? <laughs> One's too many, right? But there was four that were moved forward to the NFL. The Players Association last night, they had to get win. And here's where I want to stop. Because this is, to me, one of the most incredible um, tentacles, if you will, of this story. 16 hours ago, do you have any idea who posted on his Twitter account what the suspension was going to be? And we chuckle at this guy's Twitter account over the last couple of years because no one was more right on the money when it came to the Big Ten shutdown during COVID and they're playing or they're not playing and this team's going forward and they're going to play whether they're sanctioned by the league to do so or not. Remember when Ohio State and Nebraska were thinking kind of splitting off and just going to play some football? We didn't know when Kevin Warren was going to give the green light to bring football back during the COVID uh, era. Do you remember who had that right? Sir Yacht had that right. Do you know who had it right last night? 16, now 17 hours ago on his Twitter account that the NFL is going to suspend Deshaun Watson for six games? Sir Yacht. I'm not kidding you. You can check his Twitter account. Blows my mind some of the sources that these guys have. I know he's a blogger. Yeah, a lot of people are bloggers. There's a lot of former guys that wrote for newspapers that are now bloggers. That's the era that we live in. But this guy had it right. Now back to Deshaun Watson. Again, four four of these cases were brought forward. I was surprised. I thought that there was a pretty good chance that um, this guy won't play football again this year. And, and maybe going forward, who knows? But within the last couple of days... The league and the Players Association began to negotiate, as the judge had asked them to do, which is why she delayed releasing the length of the suspension until today. She wanted the two parties to try and negotiate a settlement before she ruled. And the Players Association apparently said, we would sign no more than eight, but preferably six. And the league said, no, 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 we want a minimum of 12 and an $8 million fine. Well, let me stop there for a second. The six-game suspension comes with zero fine. He's not fined at all. So, what does this mean going forward? We do know that regardless of what the judge ruled, and it's six games, that the NFL, the league, has the ability to appeal this judge's decision. And the league 
would then essentially appeal that decision to Judge Roger Goodell. Because it's Roger Goodell who ultimately will hear his own league's argument for a more lengthy suspension before he rules. Seems pretty slam dunk, right? If the league says, no, six isn't enough, we would take 12 and 8 million, you have to assume the league is going to appeal. And then it turns over to Roger Goodell, who, despite what the judge said, can rule on this case however he wants. He wants a year. He wants indefinite. He wants eight, ten, whatever. It will ultimately be Roger Goodell who is the deciding factor when it comes to this. Seems pretty cut and dry. Or is it? This has not been a good period of time for the league. Dan Snyder is up before Congress. Dan Snyder has a bunch of skeletons in his closet. This would be a terrible, in my opinion, a terrible look for the league should they go forward with this. Roger Kraft, mm, what did he get? Essentially a slap in the wrist. Now, it was only one as opposed to the four, but are, are there two different sets of rules when it comes to this? I'm not so sure that the league will be able to save face if indeed they appeal to themselves. Because that's what we're doing. The judge has removed herself. She has made her ruling. She's no longer in the equation. This is Roger Goodell's decision from this point forward. It's six games now. I'm starting to think this is all it's going to be. Here's the other aspect of this. Yes, he's suspended for six games, but he can do the entire month of August taking reps in training camp. Even more so, the three preseason games that show up on the Browns' schedule, he could go the distance if they wanted him to. And you have to believe that Deshaun Watson, in a new system with a new team, that's not going to play the first six games of the year, is going to play significantly more snaps than he would have in a normal regular season. Or preseason, I beg your pardon. So if you're gambling on these games, I don't know if there's point spreads out for them yet, but you now know, at least I think, makes sense to me, that Deshaun Watson's going to be playing more snaps in preseason than he normally would have. He gets to participate in training camp, gets to work with his teammates, gets to work with the playbook, gets to play in the games, and then when the regular season rolls around, he gets suspended. And what does that mean to the Browns? Well, if you look at that schedule, Jacoby Brissett or not, the way the schedule breaks for the Cleveland Browns, and this is a talented roster in a division that, yes, Baltimore's going to be tricky. We know the defending AFC champs, Cincinnati, reside there. Pittsburgh, to me, is, I think their window is closed. I believe that, uh, that it's going to be a different kind of, I don't know, three or four. Look, Mitch Trubisky's leading the quarterback battle as we sit here today. Um, and maybe Kenny Pickett is actually number three, according to a report from a Pittsburgh writer that I read yesterday. But as far as Cleveland goes, they open at Carolina against Baker Mayfield. Maybe. Maybe it's Sam Darnold. Maybe Baker Mayfield's not ready to start yet. But regardless, if you match up the two rosters, there's no question in anybody's mind. Cleveland's a better football team. Week two, go to the Jets. Do I think the Jets are going to be improved? I absolutely do. Do I expect them to beat Cleveland with Jacoby Brissett in Cleveland? Nope, I don't. Week three, here come the Steelers. If I'm right about the Steelers, I think there's a 
a, um, a a new era of Steeler football. Week number four, maybe one of the worst teams in the league, the Atlanta Falcons. So can you start 4-0 with Jacoby Brissett as you wait for your franchise quarterback to serve his six-game suspension? Well, four weeks in, I mean, 3-1 and one at worst, right? If Baker Mayfield does get the start, maybe, maybe, just maybe he beats his old team. Week five is the Chargers. Going to be tough. Going to be tough. The game is in Cleveland, but it's still the Chargers. And the week six is the Patriots. Four and two, maybe five and one, three and three at worst without Deshaun Watson. If you're a Cleveland Brown fan, this was a good day for you today. If indeed you can swallow hard, and I know some of you have to, and I've been rightly so, um, if you can root for that, if you can put on that jersey and show up on Sunday or Thursday or Monday night, whenever their games are, and root for your quarterback who um, civilly crossed a lot of lines. Criminally, there were no charges. This is a league rule. And here's another thing I want to stop because I'm reading a whole lot about Calvin Ridley. How can Calvin Ridley get a year and Deshaun Watson only get six games? Deshaun Watson, four games, or four, four women, oh, he was taken uh, to the trial, right? It's, it's awful. He settled with 24. What does that mean? He figured there's a pretty good chance that he just wanted this thing to go away and it was going to make him look worse. So at the very least, there was some form of... Guilt in his mind, right? But Calvin Ridley gambled on football, and that cuts against the integrity of the league. It really what Calvin what Calvin Ridley did by betting on his team, on his team, and I get it. You can't walk into a stadium in a in a state that has sports wagering and Nazi advertising plastered everywhere. The league's into it. Uh, it's everywhere. I get it. But Calvin Ridley bet on the sport. Held 1919. We still know the Black Sox scandal, right? We still know about that. And that's before anybody on the face of the earth was even born. But that's what it means. You can't bet on your sport, regardless if you're betting on your own team. That's not the right comparison. You want to bring up Josh Gordon getting suspended for a year for having a puff? Well, I guess a number of puffs. I'll buy that one. Tom Brady letting the air out of footballs and cheating. Got four games for that. Deshaun Watson getting six. If you want to do the what about game, you can in some cases. I just don't think Calvin Ridley applies here. I really don't. It's gambling. And gambling on football, you have to have the integrity of the sport. Am I naive to think that Calvin Ridley was the only one that's doing this? Of course not. He's the only one that got caught, at least for now. But the league, in my opinion, dropped the hammer. And it wasn't an, it wasn't a huge bet. It was relatively small. I think it was like $1,000. But he still bet on the sport, playing or not. He's betting on football with potentially inside information. You can't do that. So that's where we sit with Deshaun Watson. We'll see if the league who's going to, I think, take the pulse of the country when it comes to how does uh, the public feel about this suspension? Uh, Is it too little? Is it too many? I don't think you're going to find too many of that. I think even Cleveland fans know uh, that uh, Judge Robinson, uh, the six-game suspension, they probably would sign for that in a heartbeat, right? Because I know a lot of folks, a a lot of football people, thought that this was going to be a significant, indefinite suspension. What does the league do? And if the league does suspend themselves, how bad is this going to look when all of those other cases, all of those other lines that have been crossed by owners, by teams, 
names, etc., kind of get pushed off to the side as they re-adjudicate uh, the suspension for Deshaun Watson. Enough about that. Let's move on. Uh, have to have to go to Bill. Uh, talk a little bit about Bill Russell because, boy, the NFL, the world, quite honestly, uh, lost a lost a giant. It really did. And you know, the more I learn about him, the more I read about him. Um, Yes, he played during uh, during my lifetime, but you know, I didn't know a lot about NBA basketball growing up where I did. It's just read the paper, you, you see what's going on, and you see how much they dominated in that era. But the stat about the winner take all games um, that been retweeted and posted by a number of people that follow sports or write about sports or talk about sports 21 winner take all games when you can when you include his NCAA tournaments his NBA um playoffs and the Olympics in those 21 games the Bill Russell played his teams went 21 and 0 10 of which were game 7s in the NBA he played 495 minutes in winner-take-all games. No, I beg your pardon. There were 495 minutes in those winner-take-all games. He played 488 of the 495 available minutes and in that time averaged over 29 rebounds a game. He changed the game. He opened the game. He paved the way for so many uh, that have come after him. And when you see the tributes from oh, former players, today's players that have shared with us, you know, in the 240 characters, whatever it is you get on Twitter, what he meant to them, uh, it's remarkable. It really is. Um, just the impact that he had on the game. Um, Watching Jackie McMullen on SportsCenter last night, a couple of things on that. She's absolutely qualified to do with this. I mean, she was around this team for a long, long time. You know who didn't, at least I see, uh, get asked to opine last night, which makes me wonder, and I hope I'm wrong here, um, that maybe Bob Ryan's not well? Because he hadn't tweeted at all about a guy that he covered his entire career um, at last night when I checked for the last time. But, you know, that will frame and put over to the other side. We, I just hope that we don't hear something coming up in the next, you know, little while is, you know, where's Bob Ryan on this thing? This was the quintessential sports writer and became so by covering, for the most part, the Boston Celtics. Anyways, uh, Bill Russell passes away. What a legendary career. What an incredible person and what he meant to the game of basketball uh, and to so many people uh, that followed in his footsteps. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We're going to switch gears entirely. Uh, Matt Snyder covers baseball for CBSSports.com. Mitch Holtis is coming up in the uh, final 10 minutes of hour number one. We'll get him for the first time each and every day throughout the month of August. If you're a Chiefs fan, if you're a foot Football fan, it's great content from Mitch Holtis listening to what the Kansas City Chiefs are going through as they prepare to uh, once again defend their crown in the AFC West. Miller and Condon underway on a Monday. Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. 
time to talk some baseball, shall we? Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com, joins us. Mitch Holtis, voice of the Chiefs, coming up here in about 25 minutes. Baseball conversation right off the bat. Matt, Ken, thanks for coming on, Matt Snyder. Uh, I'm anticipating you're going to be very busy in the next uh, couple of days. Are you surprised we haven't... um, you know, had that, yeah, Castillo went, that was big, I get it, but more of those kind of A, uh, A players that, uh, a big name targets not moved this weekend, at least so far? A little bit, a little bit, yeah, it's funny, when, when you said you, I'll be really busy the, the next day or so, in my head I was like, well, I hope so, right. uh, where is everything, <laughs> you know, we had the Castillo trade and it was like, alright, here we go, here we go, gonna be a good weekend, gonna be a good couple days into the week, and then you know, nothing. My, my thought is um, maybe there's a lot of teams waiting on Soto, mm. and even the teams who aren't in on Soto are kind of waiting for the dominoes to fall after that. Because as it trickles down, you know, maybe Frankie Montas, like, for example, the Cardinals are in on Soto. If they don't get Soto, which, by the way, is my expectation at this point, mm-hmm. then they would pivot to Frankie Montas. If, like, the Twins outbid them for Montas, then maybe they pivot to somebody else. You know, so you can see how, even if teams aren't in on Soto, well, maybe they're in on Montas, but you can see how the Soto thing would kind of hold up the rest of the market. So my hunch is that's a big part of it. You know, when you look at the Cardinals, and, and I'm with you, um, I would love to see them in a Cardinal uniform, just have them here in the Midwest. Cardinals are the, the second most popular team here in Des Moines, so it would kind of be good for business that way. But the Cardinals need pitching, Matt, don't you? Uh, yeah. that, that's, is, even as good as he is, and he, I mean, who knows what his career arc is going to, how it's going to finish up. But for the here and now, the Cardinals need pitching. Starting pitching. Absolutely, yes. Well, I think the thought process would be uh, Juan Soto is the type of player where you don't say, like, what do we need? If you have a chance to get him, you go out and get him. It's like the old, uh, you know, I don't know if this is a big story elsewhere, but I'm an Indiana guy, and the old story after Bob Knight coached the Olympic team that Michael Jordan was on, and Knight went to, uh, I think it was Portland, and said you have to draft this guy. And as the the story goes, they said, "Well, we need a center." And, and <laughs> Knight said, "Well, then Knight said, well, then play him at center." Nice. And that, that, <laughs> so I always think of that when yeah. you have a transcendent talent. It's uh, yeah, I know they need pitching a lot more than position player, but it's Juan Soto. <laughs> so if you have a chance to get him, you go out and get him, and then you figure out the pitching later. Um, the reason I don't think they're going to get him is more. It, it looks like somebody like the Padres is going to put together a stronger uh, prospect package, whereas the Cardinals, it would be more players off their major league roster. Mm. And it seems like the Nationals are far enough away. They're more interested in prospects than like a package that would include, you know, maybe a Tyler O'Neill type. Um, now, it would include Nolan Gorman, and I know he's technically not a prospect anymore because he's a rookie. Mm-hmm. Still kind of counts as a prospect. But it looks like they're they're more in general, prospect 
heavy than, than guys that are ready right now. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ, the two car, the two Cubs that boy sure seems like uh, they're, they're going to be gone. You know, it's hard to feel sorry for for a major league player who's got a World Series ring, he's making millions, but I kind of find myself feeling that for Contreras. I mean, just yeah. let, let's get to the end. I mean, I feel bad for him. He wants to be a Cub. He knows there's no way this is going to happen. He's kind of you know dead man walking, if you will. Uh, just trade him. I agree, and he's had a, a bad month at the plate, and, and you can't convince me it has nothing to do sure. with, yep. with this. I'm yep. sure that he's distracted and just wants to get it over with. And in addition to going out and playing every day, um, part of the catcher's job is to work with the pitchers. So it's it's different than if it was a position player going out and just hitting and just playing the position. He's got preparation every single game on the opposing lineup and working with the pitchers that he's had to get to know, many of whom he's had to get to know new this season, thinking about going and having to do that with a whole new pitching staff. Mm. I'm sure there's just so much on his mind. And, he, and on the opposite end of the spectrum is going to the All-Star game with his brother and right. all the emotions he felt there. And actually during media availability, I thought it was really fun toward the end. Um, well, toward the start, I walked by and I talked to Wilson for a second. And Williams has a William has an interpreter, mm. um, which which makes sense. He's so much younger; he hasn't been up in the league that long. Um, but toward the end, I went walked back by where their two tables were, and uh, Wilson was interpreting for William. <laughs> and it looked like they were just having the time of their life there with their arms around each other and laughing. And like, just seems like he's had such a whirlwind mm-hmm. the last couple weeks. And like you said, it's always on a relative basis. I always try to say yes, relatively speaking, when I feel sorry for a guy, but. They're still human beings, yeah. and I feel like he's kind of had so much of a whirlwind this month. Let's just see where he's going to be the, the next two months here before he hits free agency, and let him just play. Is there a um, we we know, we've got a pretty good feeling Hap is gone as well. I'm surprised I haven't heard a lot of buzz on Marcus Stroman. How about you? Well, he hasn't opted out after this year, but he's signed for a couple more years. So with the injuries that he's had, and he's been really inconsistent. He's been really good the last couple starts, mm-hmm. but it still has only worked him down to a 3.99 ERA. And having the what's it, you know, yeah, it's a it's a deal for two years, fifty million dollar deal. So he'd be on the hook for next year, maybe plus a player option for 2024. So he would essentially be controlling the next two years if you traded for him. So I, I wonder if that has diminished his value a lot. And uh, the starting pitching market has not moved much, uh, you know. So if a lot more guys were going, maybe teams that were desperate for starting pitching, um, desperate maybe not the right word, maybe teams that were looking for starting pitching, if five, six, seven top shelf guys started to go, then they might look there. But you've really only seen uh, Castillo, and that's about it. So I, I think that not that many have moved and his contract situation with him having the control if teams are looking for a rental and he could stick you with two more years on that, I think that is probably a big part of it. I hope what the Mets are getting tomorrow is not a rental, and I say that they're getting one of their own back in Jacob deGrom, who will finally pitch. I mean, the, the history says that he, he's not going to be able to wow us. Or he'll wow us, but not for you know uh, any any uh, uh, long period of time. What do they expect out of? How will they handle Degrom going forward? With because with him and Scherzer, in addition to that roster, I've gone back and forth. One week I think the Braves are going to get him. Then I think no, it's going to be the Mets. So they're going to hang on. Uh, I think it's going to be a great race to, all the way till the end. Yeah. But Degrom back in the, in this rotation, how will they handle him? 
Uh, well, first up on that race, there's a five-game series between the two teams awesome. coming this weekend. So oh. that's going to be great. Uh, it's in, it'll be interesting to see because it's it's Buck Walters managing. Now he hasn't been the manager in the past. The front office is largely new. Um, the Grom, you know, he, he, he hasn't been that banged up. He was full-time 2017 through 2019. In 2020, he made 12 starts. And last year, he made the 15 starts until he went down. So if he feels good for three, four starts, they may let him loose and say, hey, he's back, let's go. Um, obviously, there's always a concern there. There's a lot of mileage on that arm, especially when he throws so hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's throwing 101 in, like, the sixth inning in his starts when he, you know, last year, by the time in, like, by June, that's what he was doing. Um, and that's why he was so good. Uh, man. I don't know. It's going to be tough. It's going to be fun to watch if he's good, but I think you're always going to be, if you're the Mets or a Mets fan, just feels like you're sitting there on pins and needles waiting for the other shoe to drop. But, hey, enjoy it while you can. And if he finishes the season, they're they're not a bad bet to win the World Series. No, If they're firing on all cylinders with DeGrom and Scherzer in the rotation, they can choose between Carrasco, Bassett, and Walker for the other mm. two in the, the rotation and then kick one of the other ones to the bullpen. And, and if you could use someone like Taiwan Walker as a super reliever to go two or three innings in relief if you need it, man, that, that's a pretty darn good team. Yeah, I, I've said throughout the year, I, I'm not so sure that the Yankees are the best team in New York. I mean, with, with the not. Mets and they get the ground. You know, sticking with the Yankees, just real quick on this. I can't tell you. I didn't know what to expect with, uh, with the, the ESPN documentary, The Captain. I've enjoyed the hell out of it. We're four. Uh, we're four episodes in. I think of seven. Boy, this is a, this guy. He was just um, programmed differently, right? The Derek Jeter. Have you seen it, Matt? And if so, your thoughts on on what you've seen so far? Yeah, I've only gotten the first two in, but I love it. I absolutely love it, and it's great to see uh, Jeter talking a lot more. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the stuff that you see in there is him talking about how, especially with the media. It was by design that he was short with us. And, and the one time I interacted with him was vintage Jeter from, from what I thought. He was incredibly nice and cordial. It was just a really short and to-the-point answer, and that's what he wanted to do. That was by design. He was never mean. Right. But it was always like, I'm not going to give you anything that you can run with and that people can, in his, in, in his mind, in the player's mind, it's always that you could, people can misinterpret, you know? And he, he, I did see one time he brought up like it wasn't the social media era. Thank the Lord <laughs> yep. for that. And so that that was probably good there. But yeah, it was. And you know, it's, it's interesting that uh, the last few years. And but again, by no means is this an insult at all. I, I think this is probably the right way to go if you're that big of a star. But the last couple of years, Trout has kind of moved mm-hmm. into that range. You know, like he'll still do the social media stuff. He'll still do the, uh, you know, the end game, be on the mic. Mm-hmm. But if there's a media scrum, he's always incredibly nice, incredibly cordial. But you're going to get like, a, yeah, we played well today. Uh, we'll go out and get him tomorrow. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> Which is probably the way. Can, can you imagine if the, the 1986 Mets in the era of cell phones and social media? My God. It might have saved them. Yeah, no, you know what? Them. That's a good point. <laughs> it might have been so much. So, you know what, though? It might have screwed them in 86. So they wouldn't have won the title, mm-hmm. but like long term, a few of the guys like Strawberry and Gooden, you never know. Maybe it would have saved them. Maybe mm-hmm. they would have had enough get out there that enough guys would have come up to them and 
said, hey, 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 we got to get a hold. Like, uh, remember Strawberry in the episode two, I think, on the Dieter doc, he said Strawberry was one of the guys yep. who came up and talked to him early yep. based on his own experiences. So maybe somebody would have grabbed him. Who knows? Yeah, when the Yankees showed up at uh, uh, at Ground Zero in 2001, it was um, – poof. That was, that was powerful, no no doubt about it. Well, if you haven't seen that, uh, the captain's airing now on ESPN or ESPN Plus. You know, I read your uh, your power rankings today, and I, I certainly enjoyed the six teams that um, may find their way. What do you call them? Upstart teams. And when my team's on yeah, that list, like that, that gets my attention. Yeah. So it was good to see. But you know what really jolted me? I guess I realized the Dodgers were having good, pretty good month. Twenty one and five in July. That's bananas. It's it's. I, I think part of it is. They've been so good for so long. That yeah, maybe kind of take them for granted in mm-hmm. the regular season, and and that's the thing. And I say that is that just that's what they're playing for is the playoffs, and they've gotten the point to the franchise, which everybody should strive to get there. It's basically the regular season doesn't matter as long as you don't badly screw it up. The regular season just doesn't matter. Um, even remember a couple of years ago, 2018. They started like 16 and 26 and they were terrible. They still ended up in the World Series that year. So it's, the season comes down to whether it's fair or not. And it's probably not fair, but their season comes down to how they do in the playoffs to the point that you go, what did I say, 21 and six? Yeah, you, you go. 21 and 6 in July, and we basically go, eh, whatever. Yeah, that's kind of the way it is. How good they are and where where they've put themselves. Uh, Let's talk about the American League Central. The Twins are clinging to a one-game lead. The Guardians, uh, a game back. They've got eight against. Those two teams will play eight times uh, in September. The the White Sox, rather, and the Twins, I believe, finish the season. Boy, this is going to be fascinating. Tim Anderson now suspended for, what, three games? Um, I mean, I don't know. I honestly, God, I could put all three of those teams' names in a hat, and whoever one I, I pulled out of it, I could make a case that they're going to win it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I just can't stop pivoting back to the White Sox then because it's what we were looking at heading into the season was this is the team that won the division last year and they have the most talent. And with the three teams being bunched up right there, it's for me, it's as good a time as any. And like I said in the intro, when I when I said you know the upstart team, it's possible upstart teams. We talked about the Braves last year at this time still had not even been over five hundred all year. Crazy. So if you're looking for somebody that's parallel to the Braves this season, to this point, it might be the White Sox. I know they didn't do anything. They didn't have anything like Acuna going down with a mm-hmm. with a torn ACL. They haven't had anything like that, but. It's a really weak division, much like the NL East was last year. It looks like nobody wants to win it. They've been lying in the weeds. They've barely been above 500. They've hovered around 500 a lot of the year, and they probably have the most talent out of anybody in the division. And you just think, when are they going to put it together? Are they going to put it together at all? It kind of seems like that's where we were with the Braves last year at this time. Now, that isn't to say the White Sox are going to turn it around because the Braves were awesome the rest of the way. So are the White Sox going to be able to put it together? We'll see. But they're only two games out. Hmm. So that, that, they would be my bet right now. Um, San Diego Padre, are, first of all, are you convinced Soto's traded tomorrow? No, no, not at all. Yeah, I'm um, with you. I think that the, there's somebody's still going to have to bowl the Nationals over, and I think they're going to get to the point where they evaluate all the offers they have and say what's the best one, and then say, okay, do we really want to do this? Um, it, it, it's still... Because if you're trading prospects for somebody like Juan Soto, that's always it reshapes the the direction your organization has anyway. And I know they're rebuilding, but he's 23 years old. 
He's 23. Right. It's just like when, when somebody was tell, when we were talking the other night about the Mariners giving up three of their top five prospects for Castillo, and I was like, well, well let's hold on a little bit. Yeah, sure, there, he's technically not a prospect anymore, but Julio Rodriguez is 21. Mm-hmm. So he kind of counts when you're saying <laughs> prospects. And even George Kirby kind of counts. So, like, you almost get to the point where Soto, I know he has all these accolades, but if you're talking about prospects, a lot of the prospects are 23. Soto's 23. <laughs> so, I mean, we're going to talk about prospects. He kind of still is in that age range. He's like a double A range in terms of age. So it's, yeah, that's why I don't think they'll necessarily do it. And I know they only have a couple of years of control left and maybe he won't accept the offer, but maybe he will eventually. The learners are going to sell the team. Maybe a new owner comes in. Maybe they get it. Maybe they end up getting somebody like Steve Cohen and the new owner goes up to Soto and convinces them to take a lifetime contract. There, there's always ways to keep a guy like that around, always. And that's why I say that it's not a sure thing. I still think it's holding up the market. Mm-hmm. It's just not a sure thing. I mean, it's we're waiting on him to be traded or the Nationals to just say, you know what, we're going to hold on to him, and then maybe we'll see a lot of trades. Mm. Last thing for you, Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com. Will we see anything that you know comes out of the blue? Remember a couple of those born a couple of years now? The White Sox seemingly were kind of right there, and they gave everybody away. They traded everybody, and yet they still oh, hung around. The Giants? Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Um, will yeah. we? Will we see? Will, will anything really surprise us? Is there a team that we think is in it that that ends up selling, or is there a team that why are they guys? Why are these guys making moves? They don't have a prayer. Is there one of those out there? I've actually got a couple for you on that. Uh, one, the, the Rangers. It looks like the Rangers are still trying to add. Wow. Now I don't think it'll be rentals, but they're definitely in on Soto. They would be in on any pitching especially that looks like it could be for competing for next year because remember they handed out the Seager and Simeon yep. contracts so they're not in a position to be starting over anything they they want they want to turn it around and win as soon as they can so they might be one of those teams where it's like wait a minute why are they making such a big splash and again don't count them out on Soto I don't think they'll get them but don't count them out there that would be a wow what are they doing mm. uh on the other end of the spectrum the the Red Sox if you go and look at their roster and the shape it's in and the contracts they have, they don't look like they're in great shape. And Heimblum, their general manager, came from Tampa Bay. He's operated with kind of a Tampa Bay mindset to this point. Remember, they traded Mookie Betts yep. uh, pretty quickly after they won the World Series. So I, I think that it's probably off the table, but with Xander Bogarts having an opt-out clause, it's not out of the realm of possibility they would deal Bogarts. If they did that, then they're going to trade J.D. Martinez as well. Uh, so maybe you would see something, and they have a lot of other guys, like Ovaldi is a free agent after the year. Uh, Rich Hill is a free agent after the year. I know he's hurt right now, but they have a, they're in a situation where if they set out to sell, they could sell a huge chunk of their roster. Maybe everybody of substance except like Devers and Story, who are both hurt right now, mm-hmm. but, uh, it, they could almost everybody who would move the needle except Devers and Story. I could see them trading if they decided to go that route. I'd be surprised, but it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. Like I said, I hope you're busy in the next couple of days, and we'll read about it Hopefully. at cbssports.com. Matt, thanks for doing this. Trent's back next week. We will uh, talk to you in a week's time. Thank you, Matt Snyder. All right. Take care. Yep, good to talk to you. Matt Snyder, CBS, as we go around Major League Baseball. Well, off to Chiefs training camp when we come back. Mitch Holtis, the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, in his first uh, appearance of the month of August. He'll be with us every day at 1050. 
The latest on the Kansas City Chiefs. Mitch Holtis joins me for the first time in the 2022 season. It's Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back. Ten minutes before 11. Mitch Holtis momentarily. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Real quick before we get Mitch, Los Angeles Times yesterday wrote a Brady McCullough, who you at one time wrote for the Kansas City Star, uh, a real uh, informative piece on what the Pac-12 could have done last year uh, with the Big 12. And apparently there was, as we anticipated, a lot of uh, Big 12 schools, maybe the conference uh, reaching out to the Pac-12, asking to, to merge those two uh, to become one of the uh, certainly a more powerful conference. But apparently it was the uh, president of USC who shut it down completely. Carol Folt was her name anyways. Brady McCullough uh, wrote that piece. As mentioned, for the first time, uh, for a whole bunch of times here in the month of August, and grateful for this relationship, the voice of the Chiefs, who will join us weekly during the season, but daily during the preseason, and Mitch Holtis is back. Mitch, Ken, how are you? Ken is like the uh, birds of Capistrano. You can just set your, uh, <laughs> you know, yep. set your biological clock to it, and uh, I'm back on your windowsill. Uh, usually, Iowa State Fair, but I got to tell you, I think I had the Iowa State Fair before the Iowa State Fair because um, a weekend ago I was at the Ivy IndyCar races. Yes, uh, where it was also. Tim McGraw, Blake Shelton, Glenn Stefani, Florida, Georgia, Lyon, all these other acts, like American Idol winner. And right. I was like, what is going on? It was uh, activating all five senses. It was spectacular, actually. Uh, but I was just going to say, what a, Ivy did an awesome job. Uh, but it was, I felt like I was at the Iowa State Fair. I just needed funnel kicks. Well, it was good to see. I mean, it was great to see Newton come alive like that in the Speedway again. I didn't go, but boy, oh boy, we've missed that. We missed so many things. We missed you, Mitch Holtis. And man, oh man, just before we get to, to Andy Reid and, you know, just kind of a, uh, a quick look at the team. We'll get more in depth on daily on this. Boy, oh boy, this, uh, what, what an off season in the AFC West and what a division this is going to be. Yeah. I mean, your Broncos have obviously put more chips on the table with Russ Wilson and, uh, with that defense and, and uh, adding some pieces, but so has everybody else. Yep. Everybody's all in now. Nobody's developing here. Everybody's going for it this season. But the, the result of that from the Chiefs camp being myopic here, Ken, is the fact that there is a vibe around this team. And I sense that even in the mandatory minicamp and in the OTAs, the vibe is kind of the chip on the shoulder here. I mean, this is a team, as you know, that has won six consecutive AFC West titles. Mm-hmm. And yet I think Sports Illustrated had the uh, uh, probability of the Chiefs being third to win the division. I mean, that's that and the, and the trade of Tyreek Hill has let everybody think it's going to be Mount Vesuvius and this team will be covered in molten lava by Halloween. And they've taken this personal. They are, they are a very hyper-focused team right now. Uh, in all ways, shapes, and forms. You know, and, and uh, Andy Reid in a second, but to that end, I, I saw one of your videos talking about Travis mm-hmm. Kelsey, and you mentioned something. It's almost like he thinks he's a rookie and he needs to make the team. This is the attitude that he's bringing to training camp. Yeah, I'm going to have I'm going to I'm going to talk to him um, and have him later in this week. But that's precisely it. He, uh, I just he is again he, he and Patrick Mahomes. 
would be exhibit A and B of this whole refocus, hey, go ahead and doubt us, chip on our shoulder thing. Um, and that sometimes that can be just like a false motivation, but that's not the way with this team. Um, this, this team, it permeates from top to bottom. Uh, the only piece missing was Orlando Brown Jr. He's on campus. Right. He did not practice today. Not sure when he'll get back. The Chiefs have franchised him. He held out, wasn't there at OTAs. Mandatory minicamp hasn't been here yet, but hopefully he'll be out here soon. That in Carlos Dunlap, the defensive end that they picked up um, in free agency lately at the Seahawks. So, uh, but everything else is green light, green light, train down the track. Well, and one of those things, the head coach has got their attention because, I mean, right out of the chute, right? Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, uh, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, then the Raiders. Uh, here come the Bills. Such an important start to the season, Mitch Holtis and Andy Reid. He's got the team's focus, I'm assuming. Yeah, no question. This team is 16-3 and in September of the last six years they've won the AFC West. But you just listed off the quarterbacks. The Kansas City Chiefs in 2022 will be the first team in National Football League history where their first nine games are against teams that had winning records the year prior. It's never happened, and this league's been around since 1921. Andy Reid, but it's his modus operandi, and I've mentioned this to you almost camp by camp by camp, year by year by year. What has to happen in camp and what it will reveal to you, especially if you're a team that is used to making long runs into the playoffs. Yeah, well, you you check your egos on the back on the back burner, and you come together as a team uh, when it's the toughest. And so we're going to work our tail off. Um, and you're not going to point fingers at the coaches. You're not going to point fingers at each other. Coaches aren't going to make excuses and point fingers here and there. You're all going to come together and make it right. And then. Uh, that's the ultimate foundation. That's really pouring the cement, man, and it's uh, we're, you're, you're ready to go. That's going to carry you. You're going to find out uh, normally during training camp who's going to be there for you in December. When you really need it, January, when, the, when it's a long season, you're into that 17th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, hopefully 20th game, and, and who's going to be there, man? Who's going to power through that last quarter of the season and into the playoffs if you have that, uh, if you have that ability to get there? So um, that, that, that's what you find out in camp. Awesome. And Ken, truthfully, I think that's the biggest challenge for young coaches that are new to the head coaching position in this current NFL. Think of the AFC West, all right? We talk about how good it is, but the three coaches in this division have a combined win total in their career, including two years of Josh McDaniels as a head coach, of 20 total wins. Mm-hmm. Andy's got 19 playoff wins and almost you know zeroing in on 260 overall wins, top five in the NFL. It is the fine line of pushing a team, preparing a team, because Andy knows on August the 1st, stuff has to happen today to get you to August the 2nd, and just what he said, that's when we, it manifests itself normally uh, in December, January, and hopefully into February. But that's the fine line these new coaches have tried to figure out is how much do I push? How much do I get put in and, and keeping my guys motivated? Mm. Well, and right off the show, we mentioned the, you mentioned it, the, uh, the, the record of the teams that they're going to play and the quarterbacks that they are coming up against. Uh, Mitch, I, I promise I would ask this uh, a, a real a Mike Rose fan. I mean, a hardcore Mike Rose Cyclone fan. Yep. Uh, he signs. Have you seen him yet in camp? 
I've not talked to Mike yet. Okay. And I watched him all after he was signed as an undrafted free agent. But what you saw at Iowa State, you're seeing here. Yep. Now, keep in mind, I call them crockpot guys. Uh, I mean, they're, I don't think there's a lot of mystery of who will make this team a linebacker on the original 53, but that does not mean Mike is not in their short-term, long-term plans. That and Darius Fountain, we got a UNI Panther back here yep. again. But Mike Rose, I I love his game, and man, there's a lot of energy. There's, uh, we'll get into this defense later. I think that could be the surprise of the AFC, is what the Chiefs put on the field defensively, and no one's talking about that. But yeah, Mike Rose is uh, a welcome addition to this team. Let's talk Papa John's in our final minute, Mitch Holtus. Well, you always make me hungry. We do these at eleven o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and I'm like. Trying to chase down a wildebeest that Papa John's right now. And of course, we know Tom and Matt Donaldson and what they do, but epic, epic, epic pepperoni stuffed crust pizza. One topping right now is just $13.99. It's epic. Remember that. So, whether it's the Iowa State Fair or you're just kind of coming down after the uh, Ivy IndyCar races or just getting ready for some football at all levels, that's the we know about Papa John's and what they do. Thanks for doing this for us. We will talk to you at this time tomorrow. Have a great day, Mitch. Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, Ken. Yep, good to talk to you. Mitch Holtis, the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs in our first of uh, probably 25, 24 uh, daily reports on the Kansas City Chiefs. And then again, uh, I mentioned it was Thursday. It's Wednesday. Mitch will join us during the regular season each and every Wednesday, with the exception of the bye weeks. We give Mitch the week off as well, uh, as we will talk Kansas City Chiefs throughout the year. What a division. What a race. But the Chiefs have got their head coach, the um, 19 playoff wins and the other coaches in that division combined. 19 wins. McBlunder didn't have a very good go of it at, uh, with Denver. And of course, Hackett in Denver now is the first, uh, first time for him. Uh, Staley, I think he's a good coach. I do. I love the way he, he gambles, right? He's willing to take some chances. All right. That's going to do it for our number one. We will get into Iowa, into Iowa State. Good news, by the way, Cyclone fans hearing from Mitch Holtis on Mike Rose. Yeah, it's got an uphill battle, but that practice squad, I think there's going to be an opportunity for him to maybe he doesn't make the roster coming out of camp, but I'd be surprised if there's not a uh, at least a few years of football, professional football, uh, in Mike Rose's future. Hour two coming up next. Scott Dockerman and Nick Olson covers Iowa State. That's coming up next.